I think they're hilarious. So I don't want to say I want to go to the box, but uh, you know, maybe there'll be a confrontation there that's pretty funny. I like you, but you've gone too far. Show a little class. If the glass wasn't there, would you do it? I don't think so. We get some chuckles on the bench when we look over and we see them, uh, you know, upside down on the glass. They're pretty comedic and, and uh, it's pretty funny. We simply have had enough of looking at the rear ends and their crotches. They've been more than a pain in the neck to almost every team that has played here. Smarten up. You look like jerks. They're good guys. Don't be mean. Be green. Son of a bitch. Green Man Radio, the third episode has arrived. My name is Adam Forsyth, joined as always by Ryan Sullivan, a.k.a. Sully and Force. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Sully, how's it going, buddy? Good, man. Yeah, we've had a nice little uh, nice little rest since the last show, a few weeks in between. But uh, no, stoked to get back at it. We have a, a milestone, an anniversary here. Uh, so this is a huge show. Yeah, we're just a few days away from our 10th anniversary of our very first Green Man game. Now, if you have not joined us for Green Man Radio on Sportsnet 650 before, we had a couple of episodes last month. How this works is pretty much you're listening to the two idiots who were in green spandex back in the day, sitting beside the penalty box, causing a ruckus, causing a, a storm. And uh, we, we retired the suits a few years ago, and we thought, you know what, let's let's – Keep our faces hidden and go into the radio business. Yes. And yes. so Sportsnet 650 was uh, eager to have us alongside for the ride. And uh, every Wednesday when there's not a Canuck game for the rest of the season or when there's not a Vancouver Giants game, uh, you're going to hear us on Wednesday. So we have uh, this episode and then seven more, three in January. So we have some great guests lined up for that. And then as for tonight's episode... Who do we have coming up, buddy? We've got two more beauties on the way, starting things out with Dale Weiss. Oh, Canuck, baby! The Dutch Gretzky. We'll ask him about his time over there during the lockout. Some epic stories out of this guy, including one I, I, I don't know if we're gonna we're gonna get. We're gonna try. We're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do our, our due diligence, do some digging, and try and find out a little bit more about the John Tortorella night. The Tortorella versus Hartley. What could have been? Well, that's why when I was like, all right, I got to do some deep research, a.k.a. I went to Dale Weiss's Wikipedia, and that is like yeah. under the controversy section, <laughs> there is... Did you donate? I did not donate. Wikipedia was that's pleading good. for money. No one does. Yeah, I was using a VPN, uh, so it's uh, my, all my computer searches rewrote me through Frankfurt, Germany. Hmm. So it was Wikipedia pleading for money, I assume, in German. So it's like, Donchgoyer. <laughs> is that how you say thank you? Yeah, it's Wikipedia Dusseldorf edition. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So I, I, might have done, I might have accidentally donated some francs or euros or whatever it is over there. But yeah. uh, under that controversy section, Dale Weiss was part of the infamous line brawl to start the game, Canucks-Calgary Flames, which led to Tortorella trying to storm into the locker room and fight Bob Hartley, right? Yeah, Bob Hartley. An epic, like, I mean, you know, Tortorella gets a bad rap for his time here in Vancouver. You know I'm a fan, but that's just the thing, is that we get a different perception of John Tortorella if you're a fan rather than the player. If you're a fan, I mean, this guy has great sound bites. He's hilarious. Um, It's all good. But if you're a player in that system, eh, you probably get a different impression of the guy. So we're going to dig deep on that because he's played with him on a few occasions. He started his career with him in the Rangers and then obviously with the Canucks where it kind of went a little sideways. It is weird with all these coaches over the last month. I mean, between our last episode, it was just about like 25, 26 days. And in that, all, this chaos has erupted between the whole Don Cherry incident and then yeah. Bill Peters, Mike Babcock, Jim Montgomery with the Dallas Stars. And we've kind of reached out to a few former players about torts. And they all said, yeah, you know, he was he was a jerk, but 
in a good way. Like he helped yeah. my career. Yeah, not not like the allegedly kick you or smack you kind of jerk. Uh, you know, the guy's got the fiery Italian temper, as we've seen, uh, and it seems like he's pretty similar in the room as he is on the mic during the press conference. Uh, just a fired-up individual with a pretty short fuse. but Yeah, he just doesn't like stupidity. Yeah, but he gets the best out of it. He's got a ring. You can't argue with a ring. Well, well you can. You can. You Mike, Mike Babcock found out that the oh, hard I way. Guess, you know what? I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. Fair <laughs> uh, enough. Uh, so, yeah, what, what's been going on with you, buddy? Over the last month, I mean, two episodes in, we got a lot of great feedback. We had uh, JT Miller, Theo Fleury, Scott Walker, Alex Ald as our first uh, four guests. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, yeah, the feedback is pretty good. Uh, everyone's kind of like, are you guys coming back to the game? That's the question everyone's been asking me. My parents have been asking me, are you guys coming back for a game? Like, I don't know. Well, in in true, you know, Green Men Radio fashion, I'm going to avoid that question for just a little bit longer um, before mm-hmm. before we address that. But because I forgot to mention, we have our second guest as well. I just mentioned Dale Weiss, who's the headliner, but no, 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 no. Sean we Pronger, got two, We got two guests? Sean Pronger's coming on, baby. And the beauty of this is, of course, we have Dale Weiss, we can talk about that Calgary line brawl night, but with Sean Pronger, he was one of the first men into the pile on the Todd Bertuzzi, Steve Moore night. So we're going to get a firsthand experience from April 8th, 2004, one of the most infamous days in Vancouver Canucks history. This guy was there. He had his his hands on, I think it was, I think it was Andre Nikolishin who he was on top of there. So... Uh, an unbelievable story on the way. And Sean Pronger, good, good buddy of the agreement. We've done a lot with him in the past. He's a beauty. Well, he wrote the book, the Journeyman book, because 16 teams over 11 years. It's ridiculous. The guy just lived out of a suitcase. He had some epic stories, so I'm hoping he can share some with us. That will be in the 8 o'clock hour. Dalewee's come up at 7.30. And at 8.30, our final segment of the show, we're turning over to you, as always, the fans. It is time for the Twitter Q&A. Get your questions in. Our Twitter handles, if you want to ask any question, we will get it on air. It's at Adam Forsythe, at Sulla Vancouver, and at The Green Men on Twitter. Ask away, and again, we'll get to that segment at 8.30. As for the last month, I mean, let's... Unfortunately, this is a lighthearted, goofy show. I don't really feel like getting into the whole coaching debacle and no. the done. Like, let's just, yeah. Everybody's given their two cents on the matter, and, and everybody's got their own opinion, Let's 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 dance around that a little. There, there's, and, right. and it's been covered to you know it's been covered yeah. extensively. No, it hasn't been covered though, and I haven't even asked you, asked you about this really off air. So I, I want the first hand account. You went over to Powell River, and if yeah. you're listening and uh, not live on Sportsnet, but in a podcast later on, Powell River, very small community, Sunshine Coast, fantastic little town, and they have a junior A hockey team there that have been great to us over the years. Yeah, And all of a sudden, I find out that you're going over, not with a suit, you're with your wife and your small, small infant baby child. She is small. And you are dropping the puck in a game somehow? <laughs> like, how did that happen? Yeah, so I, I reached out because, I mean, as you mentioned, in, in the past, we've done a lot of stuff with the Powell River Kings. They're fantastic. They're very accommodating. Uh, our very first puck drop actually uh, happened at a Powell River game. We were invited up there in 2010 when we first started this Green Men thing. They put us up. They were great. Uh, Pacific Coastal flew us up. Got to give them a shout out. And then uh, a few years later, the Farewell Tour, once again, sponsored by the fine folks at Pacific Coastal. Uh, they let us do another puck drop, let us run around the stadium. And then this time around, I was like, you know what? I'm coming up to Powell River. I'm just going to reach out for some tickets. See what I can do there. Uh, reach out for some tickets. Say, hey, we're coming to town. And, you know, I, I could do a uh, trade-off here. I could, you know, throw some shout outs for you guys on the air or on, uh, or on our social media. 
And, um, yeah, then we just kind of ended up, you know, the conversation went in a different direction. We took it one further. Um, you know, don't want to break that puck drop streak. We were at two games strong. So, uh, so yeah, this was my third puck drop up there. And what was really cool was, um, I mean, I didn't have to wear a green suit, which was great. But at the same time, I got to bring out the wife and, uh, and my, my little baby, Mackenzie. And, um, yeah, now we've got a Christmas card for years to come. Is that what you guys did? Oh, yeah. We got the puck going down between the Kings and the Victoria Grizzlies. Uh, it is a gem. And I can't thank the Powell River Kings, uh, Nadine Porchetta. Can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. It was awesome. Uh, and then you did, the one thing you did mention to me is that you didn't quite, you weren't able to enjoy the game. No, the, um, as much, as great as it is bringing, um, a baby to a hockey game, when you don't bring the giant, ridiculously huge headphones and you forget those at home, it makes for a little bit of a rough experience, especially when they score three goals in the first period. So every time that horn went off, the kid just lost her mind. Um, you know, the horn went off in the stadium and then the fire alarm went off, uh, in my arms. It was ridiculous. So we had to unfortunately take off after the first period, but Memories will last a lifetime. Absolutely. I didn't get a Christmas card out of my trip, but I know that you were spending quality time with your wife and child, and I left my girlfriend behind and did a boys' trip to L.A., (laughs) and we did the the sports trip, and I called it the sports trip from hell because right from the jump, everything I planned was a complete disaster, and I pride myself on putting together some pretty good trips. You've had some pretty epic trips. I planned your stag into San Diego, and I think that was a pretty solid success. Awesome. Uh, And this one, just, I don't know what happened, but right from everything was going wrong that possibly go wrong. NFL trip, I think we might have even mentioned this on the previous Green Man episode that I tried to book an NFL, uh, back-to-back NFL games. So there was the Rams on the Sunday nighter in Los Angeles, the Chargers at home to the Chiefs on the Monday nighter. Should be great. So we book our flights before the NFL tickets are available. And then the tickets are available. Go to buy the Rams tickets. Success. Go to buy the Chargers tickets. Oh, no. It is a neutral site game in Mexico City, which is not referenced anywhere on the NFL website until you actually click the ticket link. Yeah, that's a, that's a rough one. All right. Well, we'll redeem ourselves. <laughs> it was a Saturday to Tuesday trip. The Los Angeles Kings taking on the Vegas Golden Knights at the Staples Center. 7 o'clock pup drop. Perfect. Our flights land at 11 at LAX in the morning. This is perfect. Buy some LA uh, Kings tickets. Yeah, about a, a week before the game, we're going to change the puck drop to 1 p.m. <laughs> so we're flying out to LAX, like getting an Uber guy to do some sketchy moves down the freeway. And we got there like early in the first period. That worked out. And then nice. we went and saw the Clippers game because I want to see Kawhi Leonard. And yep. It's going to be a big one. He didn't play. No. no. Load management. Yeah. Oh, and then the kicker to all of it. Okay. Uh, 24 hours before the trip. The Airbnb guy cancels my reservation, says just for no <laughs> Oh, I double booked. Uh, do you want to live with strangers? Uh, you and your three buddies can share uh, two beds in a one bedroom. And then you'll have to share a kitchen and a bathroom with these four other people that we don't know. <laughs> and we'll, I'll give it to you at half price. Like, get out of here, buddy. Are you kidding me? I just lost it. That's brutal. So Airbnb rectified it, and we ended up getting a hotel downtown and whatever. But well, it's not too bad. And you had a trip to the comedy store. That That is true. I left that part out. We did Universal Studios, which was really cool, and the comedy store. So I got to see Anthony Jeselnik. Uh, huge. Ryan and I are both massive comedy fans, so uh, that's always a must if I go to Los Angeles. And I, my big celebrity sighting. I can't think of any sports movies she's been in, but uh, Heather Graham. Oh. Yeah. Hey. Uh, like, she was the mom in The Hangover. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. What else? She's been in a ton Austin of movies. Austin Powers 2. Bowfinger. <laughs> Her best one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was my L.A. trip. Uh, that was pretty solid, but again, that wasn't quite, 
Yeah. Not how you drew it up, but sometimes that makes for a better trip, you know, when things go a little off the uh, strategy board. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so that was just me whining, and that kind of fits well into our next segment uh, <laughs> because it is time for the Yuck Yucks Vancouver's airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> now you're going to hear about it. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. This is the airing of grievances brought to you by Yuck Yucks Vancouver. To see which comics are on their way to the comedy club, check them out across social media at Yuck Yucks Van or online anytime at yuckyucks.com. All right, Yuck Yucks, absolutely. They are beauties. I mean, we were just talking about the comedy store, an awesome joint. Yuck Yucks is essentially the comedy store of Vancouver. You get some amazing acts in there, and it's the same thing. You never quite know what you're going to get. You drop in any random weekend, you could have uh, TJ Miller walking in or something like that. Some great acts through there, uh, including one coming up, John Hastings, December 13th to 14th. John has been performing since 2006. He won the Just for Laughs Montreal Comedy Festival Homegrown Comedy Competition. He's been called the one to watch by the Comedy Network. High praise. Yeah, that's not bad. The one to watch. He's performed all over the world. Huge in Australia. He's like the David Hasselhoff in Germany. He's huge in Australia, of all places. But in Vancouver, he's a beauty as well. He's got a few special performances on the way. For more, check out yuckyucks.com. And we thank them, as always, for their beautiful, beautiful partnership. Okay, now here we go. And get this off my chest. Because I'm feeling a little nostalgic. We touched on it a little bit off the top. It's our 10-year anniversary, December 23rd, 20, 2009, excuse me, the first game of the Green Men. So that's coming up. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little historical here, so let's get into this a little bit. Uh, and you were a groomsman at my wedding, Adam, so you've heard this story before, but nonetheless, in the words of Chandler Bing, you always have to think about the trail. Now, I highly doubt this old boss is listening, but I've had this on my chest for years. I was told almost 10 years ago that I would regret being a green man. I would regret this whole green men thing. Well, let me tell you. If I wasn't a green man, I would have never gotten involved with the BC Cancer Foundation's underwear affair. If I'd never done that, I'd have never met my friend Baxter Bayer. If I never met Baxter, I'd have never worked marketing for Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer. If I'd never done that, I'd never been hired on as project manager for the Island Summer Games. And if I'd never done that in the beautiful city of Victoria, I'd have never met my wife and eventually had my newborn daughter. And then I would have never dropped a pocket of Powell River Kings game out of a green suit. There you go. You never quite know how life can change by simply taking a chance on something a little different. The Green Men gave me a wife, a kid, marketing career outside of journalism, my first book, free travel, free hockey tickets to every game outside of Vancouver, mind you, a Nike sponsorship, more free beers than I can ever count, an ESPN Hall of Fame induction, and an enshrinement at the Roxy, which might be more valuable than anything else I just listed, and a billion other stories. So to that former boss that said I'd regret this chapter of my life, I regret nothing. Boom, Nothing. mic drop. The mic's hooked on here, so I can't drop it. Every single week, you bring the heat on the Aryan of Grievances, and I appreciate that. Here is mine just as deep. Give it to me. I don't like that my strata landscapers start blowing leaves outside my bedroom window every Monday at 8 a.m. sharp while discussing how hammered they got on the weekend. They're all these like broke college kids. Shut up. I'm trying to sleep. I pay $300 a month for strata, and you're not even picking the leaves up. You're just blowing them into the corners of my non-existent yard. Shut up. That's my rant of the week. I like how I went very deep and personal with it, and you're upset with strata because the college kids are blowing leaves. Walt, uh, 
um, bro, I had four Coronas at the bar and I thought I had a chance with this girl, but she said no. And then you hear, and leaves. And then I go downstairs and there's just leaves everywhere. Yeah. Somehow they're like blown onto my barbecue and like my non-existent patio. And like, I have a yard that is like five feet by five feet. <laughs> just do your job and clean it. No, yeah. They're just blowing leaves. Yeah. Over. That's tough. Man, I had two shots of Jaeger, and it got a little hectic on Friday. You just don't know. <laughs> but at net 8 a.m. on a weekday. it's Honestly, I feel like they're standing outside my window, and we then they're should, like, oh, it's 8 a.m. We should mention that you have the luxury, Monday to Friday, of starting work at 11. Oh, yeah. 11.30. 11.30. I sleep, me. I sleep until 10. I have no yeah. parental responsibilities. <laughs> my girlfriend's a high school teacher, so she's off doing her thing. That's, I sleep in. I love it. That's why they're there at 8 a.m. Because most people are gone. You're the only one upset about this in your whole strata. I guarantee it. I feel like they're probably upset that they're landscaping in the rain mm. at 8 a.m. too. Wow, that's a tough But game. they're also still hungover from their two shots of Jagger. <laughs> I like the accent they have now, too. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, I think I'm stealing that from uh, Dave Chappelle, I believe. His, his bit where he's like, always have white people like to catalog all their drinks. <laughs> Had two beers, two shots of Jagger. Two shots of Jagger. <laughs> nice. Okay. I like it. So there you go. That is my rant of the week. Uh, as for injuries, there are plenty around the NHL. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche continuing to get hammered by injuries. It is time for the Berard Physio Injury Report. Life comes at you fast. The hangover after the office Christmas party may not be the only injury you're nursing this holiday season. Or when you're landscaping leaves. Oh, they need some work. Whether it's falling off a bar stool or landscaping some leaves, the team of Berard Physiotherapy is ready to help keep you in action. The therapists of Berard Physio know what it feels like to get knocked down on the mat. They also know how to get you back on your feet in time for that New Year's bell ball Whatever that is, located in the heart of downtown Vancouver, Broad Physiotherapy, the home of rehab you can trust. Remember, at Broad Physiotherapy, you are in the right hands. Ryan kind of touched on it. The Avalanche battered and bruised with their injuries. Canucks finally getting healthy. It's pretty much it for the injuries around the NHL. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Let's breeze over that. No, I've got something that I wanted to throw out here. Um, I mean, you know, we could talk injuries all day and and – you know, again, it's like the coaches thing. It's been it's been done. It's been covered. Okay, you want to hear about the injuries? Turn on your phone. It's there. Uh, I want to talk about. We're getting nostalgic here. The ten year anniversary show. There was a time. It was 2011. The very first round against Chicago, and I had to make up some crap about you and a broken arm because uh, you were. And this is you know this segues nicely because Thursday morning you're taking off. Uh, tomorrow morning, you're taking off for Mexico again. The last time you were in Mexico, I had to make up some garbage about you how you had a broken arm and why we couldn't go to games one and two. It was the Green Man Injury Report. Uh, <laughs> that Everyone in 2011 thought we went to like every game, but that first round, we didn't go until game seven. So the Canucks built up the 3 nothing lead, then they blew it, it goes to game seven, and just by the timing of it, I got to go to Mexico. So it was the kind of in the middle of the media blitz, like, Sully was on the front cover of the province, and you're like telling him about my. It was not a broken arm; it was broken leg. That's what it was. And yeah, yeah. you went to an extreme that I don't know if it was quite necessary, <laughs> but you took found like a Google X-ray image of a snapped leg, like I mean snapped. Oh yeah, and posted it everywhere and said that was Adam's leg. So I'm getting texts in Mexico like, "Bro, I heard you broke your leg. What happened, man?" <laughs> uh, yeah, that I don't know what happened. Apparently, I broke my leg. So yeah, yeah everyone thought I, it was a nice little cover story. Yeah, but then it was also hilarious when I returned and we went to game seven and I'm like dancing and moving and shaking up against the glass and I'm there's no cast no broken leg no no well that's I mean I think that's Vancouver fans in a nutshell 
is that like this team could go on like a 10 game losing streak. They win one game, everyone forgets everything. Uh, you know, I said your leg was essentially shattered. I mean, that was an x-ray from somebody that had their leg run over by a bulldozer. <laughs> and then, like, yeah, a week later, you're up dancing and gyrating on the glass. I can't even remember. I forgot. Uh, you might have given an excuse. I don't remember exactly what you said or you just said I broke my leg. But, like, yeah, it looked like a traumatic leg injury. It, it was horrific. It was. The best part of that was for that, that province photo shoot um, is that they put me beside a mirror. They're like, yeah, you know what? Let's just take a photo of you next to a mirror and then maybe we can play that off like that's force because you couldn't be at the photo shoot. Obviously, you're on the beach. So, um, yeah, that didn't is, work. Is that why you there's a, there is the photo of you, of you like looking longingly into a mirror? Yeah, I'm supposed to be looking at you in a mirror. I'm like, this isn't like, are you guys going to Photoshop it to make it look like it's somebody else? Like, no, no, it'd be fine. Nobody will get it. So it was good to see you were holding down yeah. the fort. I was I flew Doing back best. when Game Six was on, and I paid for like the in-flight entertainment to watch the Canucks got blown up in that Game Six game. It was not good, right? And that was very frustrating. But hey, it all worked out in Game Seven. They slayed the dragon. Alex Burrows coming through in the clutch. Yeah, and a quick shout out to uh, Mr. Burrows as well. Since our last show, he's got the name up in the ring. Pretty sweet man. Very deserving. Got the heart of a lion. All right, you got it locked to Sportsnet 650. This is Green Man Radio with Adam Forsyth and Ryan Sullivan, a.k.a. Sully and Forrest. Hit us up on Twitter. Uh, any questions about the show? Any questions you have for Dale Weiss? That is coming up in just a few minutes. It's at Adam Forsyth, at Sully Vancouver, and at the Green Men all on Twitter. You can also hit us up at uh, Facebook. That is, uh, what is it now, Ryan? It's the official... Can yeah, I, we're, we're Facebook.com slash The Green Men 2. The Green Men 2. Yeah. We, we had Some, a bit of a hack. We did. Someone in Kazakhstan took us over last year, but they we did. got it back. Yeah, absolutely. It's a story for another time because we're up against the clock, but in just a few minutes, come on back because it is Dale Weiss, the former Canuck, the current Laval Rocket, being coached by Alex Burrows. We'll get into it all with him in just a few minutes. Green Men Radio on Sportsnet 650. Green Men Radio with Adam Forsyth and Ryan Sullivan continues on Sportsnet 650. Brought to you by PastimeSports.ca. Yeah, you can be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You can beat the world. Welcome back to Green Men Radio on Sportsnet 650. Adam Forsyth and Ryan Sullivan with you until the 9 o'clock hour. Sully and Forrest, the two idiots who were wearing green spandex back in the day beside the Canuck penalty box. Retired now, living that retired life in our 30s. And now behind the mics, talking to you good. guys tonight. It's yeah. good? Oh, it is like a sweet, sweet wine. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. We got a jam-packed episode for the rest of the way. Coming up in just a few minutes, former Canuck fan favorite Dale Weiss joins the program. At 8 o'clock, we are joined by Sean Pronger, the journeyman. 16 teams, 11 seasons. He breaks it all down. And at 8.30, we open up the Twitter Q&A segment of the show where we want you to ask us any question you got, hockey-related, sports-related, pop-culture-related, you ask it, we will answer it at the Green Men, at Adam Forsyth, and at Sulla Vancouver. Uh, throw us a follow, and we will tweet you right back. Uh, but this interview coming up, I, I cannot wait. I've been pumped. I was so happy that Sully was able to track Dale Weiss down because he's had a bit of an up-and-down career. I think he'll. we're definitely going to get into it, where he's had the highs of being a Montreal Canadiens playoff hero to the lows of uh, a real tough contract and time in Philadelphia. And now he's kind of trying to build his career and extend it a little bit longer, playing in the AHL for the Laval Rockets as a member of the uh, Montreal organization. Alex Burroughs is his assistant coach, and I know they're really close, so that must be a little weird that you're being coached by one of your best buddies. We'll get into all of it. Any fond memories of Dale Weiss from back in the day, Sully, when he was Canuck or otherwise? 
Yeah, no, I I mean, when it comes to Dale Weiss, I mean, I, I, I loved him here, but then uh, as soon as he started up in Montreal, he was kind of, he looked like the one that got away. Like, he just went on a tear, became a huge fan favorite over there, and I, I just, I don't think we gave him enough of a shot over here. I know, I know he had some time, but he, the guy was a beauty. He was a fan favorite. You got to keep those in the organization. I think that Canucks just, were, that was like the prime of the Canucks, right? They had such a stacked roster, and Montreal was maybe on the flip side of that a little bit. Yeah. And there was just room. I mean, they traded him for... Was it Diaz? Yeah. Yeah, Rafael Diaz. Yeah, so, like a depth defenseman. They were just moving bodies around. It's unfortunate. I think they're. I think him and, and Tortorella definitely had some issues behind the scenes about his playing time. And it, look, it, it worked for Dale Weiss, right? He needed the new city. It worked out, yeah. and he parlayed that Montreal success into a four-year deal with the Flyers. Yeah. I mean, so he got paid. He's padded his bank account. Uh, this interview, I have a feeling it's going to go along because this guy is is awesome. He's got some great stories. So why don't we get into it, silly? Yeah, this one's brought to you by Pastime Sports. You can find him at pastimesports.ca. Title sponsor of this show. We absolutely love him. Christmas is just around the corner. Make sure to get down there. they got a brand new location in Metropolis, Metrotown. We did a little signing there a couple weeks ago. It is stacked with memorabilia and everything you can think of with your team's logo on it. It's ridiculous. It's such an awesome spot to do some Christmas shopping. And here we go. This is Christmas Come Early. Let's chat it up. Welcome to the show, Mr. Dale Weiss. Our next guest, fan favorite during his years in Vancouver, currently a member of the Montreal Canadiens organization, as I mentioned. He has spent time with the Habs, the Canucks, the Flyers, the Rangers. He survived two stints with John Tortorella, in a childhood rivalry with Jonathan Taves, and earned the legendary moniker Dutch Gretzky during the 2012 lockout. Please welcome to Green Man Radio on Sportsnet 650, Dale Weiss. Welcome to the show, buddy. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well, guys. Happy to be a part of it. Absolutely, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, watching you for for years up here in Vancouver it was a, it was an absolute treat. And uh, the day you left, you were, you're the one that got away, man. We we still we still highly miss you up around these parts. So, um, but uh, <laughs> That's what, good to hear. Yeah. Why, why don't we uh, Why don't we rewind? Let's go back to the the very start. Uh, and work our way through the timeline. Uh, born in Winnipeg, were, were you a Jets fan growing up? I mean, how crushed were you when, when they took off? I mean, you must have been just a kid. Yeah, I was. Uh, I think I was seven when they left. I was a huge uh, Jets fan. Obviously, every kid growing up in Winnipeg, you were a Jets fan. Uh, Keith Kachuk was my guy. I was a big fan of him. So I, uh, I followed them to Phoenix a little bit, but my team's kind of changed after that. But, um, you know, to lose the NHL team, I think I was choked as a little kid. I didn't really understand the whole dynamic of what was going on and then uh when they got the team back man i was so stoked at any point in your career did you have a chance to kind of have a beer with uh big walt there and just say like hey you're my childhood hero uh never never actually i've never ran into him um i mean he's been in a couple games obviously when i played against his sons and stuff and then uh never really had a chance to to meet him which would be pretty cool now, are you allowed to go back? This is this is a this is a weird question, maybe. But I mean, obviously, the Jets are back in Winnipeg. You can be a fan, but you said you were still a fan when they went to Phoenix. Because the reason I ask is like I'm I was a huge Vancouver Grizzlies fan back in the day, but now they're in Memphis, and I like I'm so bitter I can't get over that. Are you allowed to stay a fan once a team moves? Uh, yeah, I guess it depends who you are. Um, I mean, the Grizzlies going to Memphis that might change things a little bit. Um. I don't know if you can be a fan of Memphis, but, uh, uh, you know what? I, I really liked the team and they went to Phoenix and I, I liked them a little bit for a couple of years and then it kind of died off because they weren't that great. But, um, I, I think you could be a fan once the team moves, as long as, uh, you know, it's got some of the same players that you appreciated in your hometown. 
So growing up playing in Winnipeg, did you was there any guys from your your age class that kind of uh, may, also made the show? Was like yeah, who, there's one guy in Chicago by Jonathan Taves. He's okay. Oh, he's just a decent yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bit of a yeah, plug. I grew, up, I, I grew up playing against him. Um, I, I think I probably met him from about eight till fifteen in like every final and lost. So I, uh, I I was pretty choked about that. And then getting a chance to play with him in Chicago was unreal. Obviously, uh, you know he, he's everything that he's made out to be. And uh, from eight years old, you could tell the kid was going to be a stud. Did you remind him that uh, hey, uh, when we were nine years old playing in that one tournament and you slashed me, I, I won't forgive you for that. <laughs> I think I was probably slashing him a lot more than he was slashing me. <laughs> just doing like the uh, the water skiing, just towing behind him. Yeah, exactly. We were trying to grab him or doing anything we could to slow him down. Nice. Uh, okay, so you're, you're drafted by the Rangers. Um, you know, first 10 games under John Tortorella. I, I feel like a lot of people have different views on torts. I mean, as a fan of the game, you can't help but love the guy. Sometimes like his, you know, his press conferences are hilarious. As a player, is it's got to be a bit of a different story, I would think, sometimes if you get on his bad side. Yeah, for sure. Uh, me and John definitely had a, a rocky uh, relationship. But, um, you know, it started in New York. Um, it was my second year pro. I think he – I can't remember if Tom Rennie got fired mid-year or at the end of the year. I think it was, I think it was middle of the year when, when he came on. Um, so I never really got to know him that well then. And then my third training camp, I thought I had a really, really good chance of making the team. Uh, and me and him got into it on a couple of guys. And uh, it was actually a, a pretty candid conversation. I think I'm going to save that one for my book. But um, <laughs> it was pretty interesting. And then I got called up a couple of times that year. Um, and I, like you said, I, I played 10 games. But I, I might have played like four or five minutes when I was playing those games. Um, so not, I didn't really feel like I got much of an opportunity. And he probably really didn't get a chance to see me that much anyway. So it was... It was rocky from there, and then he came on in Vancouver um, when I was kind of just establishing myself as an NHL player and kind of once again shut down my opportunity. But um, you know what? I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. Um, when I see him now, you know, we, we shake hands. We have some good laughs. Um, I think, like you said, as a fan, I think he's great for the game. Um, as players, I don't know how he is now. I'm sure he's changed a little bit, but um, you can respect his fire. He's passionate. When he comes in and speaks, you you listen. Um, maybe some some different tactics that don't work for some guys and and maybe work for others. But um, you know what? I can honestly say, after a couple of stints with him, I truly respect him as a man. Well, he definitely. I mean, he's ex- he's got the Stanley Cup ring. He's he's won everywhere he's gone. The one interesting tactic, and I was just I I wanted to go down the Dale Weiss rabbit hole of some YouTube goals and stuff like that. But when you type in Dale Weiss into YouTube, one of the first results pops up is the Tortorella hallway brawl with Hartley and you on the ice in that fight. What that was chaos that game, entertaining for a fan. But what was running through your head when you hear your coaches trying to get into the Flames locker room? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, you know what? Uh, I can't remember if we played him the week before what happened. It, it wasn't really anything building up to it. Um, Torch just kind of came in and said, well, they're starting uh, West Garth, uh, Brian McGratton, and uh, a couple other guys. So he goes, uh, we're going to start Weezer, uh, Tommy, and uh, Kellen Lane, who was playing his first NHL game. Uh, poor kid. And then uh, he was like, look, it's sorry, guys. I have to do it. And then obviously we kind of knew where it was going to go from there. So that was crazy. And then um, – you know, he came in and kind of apologized to us after and said, look, I shouldn't have done that, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then obviously he runs down the hall and he tries to attack the other coach. So um, 
I think as a player, you, you got you to gotta kind of respect it that he's going to battle for you. So he came in, apologized, and had completely cooled off and then took off down yeah, the hall. No, he, he was, yeah, he was, he was, we, we were all undressed. Um, was it, was it between the first and second? I can't remember what it was, but he, he was calm. He came in, apologized. He was all good. And then five minutes later, he was running down the hallway. <laughs> Oh, that's so that's awesome. amazing. Yeah. So, who, who's your money on? I mean, if Torts gets loose, who's your money on? Uh, I think my money's on Torts. Yeah, it's got to be. Uh, you know, he's always he's always in the gym. He's got the tight shirts on. You know, he's, he looks jacked with his turtlenecks on and stuff. So, uh, <laughs> I, I think I'd go with Torts. Yeah, we've seen we've seen his uh, we've seen his fiery attitude in action a few times. Um, so yeah, that that would have been an epic battle. Um, now, now I'm not I'm not sure if it was if it was mentioned to you by uh, media relations or the team or not, but. Uh, so this is Green Men Radio. Um, I went under the moniker of Sully. It forces across from me. Um, we're, we're always curious. I mean, for for the guys that were playing, what was the thoughts on the two idiots in green suits outside the penalty box? Uh, you know, while you were on the ice, I thought it was amazing. Um, I, I mean, the one time I think you were trolling uh, Drew Doughty in the penalty box is just man, that's amazing. That's entertainment. I think that's something. Um, as hockey that we truly lack is, is the entertainment value. Uh, the stuff outside of the game, the stuff like that, uh, man, I, I wish there was more of that in the game. Is there any uh, memorable penalty box interactions you've had with fans or you know other players? Uh, nothing really crazy. Um, I just, I mean, I love it when the fans sit beside the glass and they start giving it to you and you don't give them a response. I think that's kind of the best way to handle it. Um, when fans are trying to unload on you, I think you see guys interact with them, and I think that's what the fan wants. And uh, I think I've pissed more people off just sitting there ignoring them than uh, responding to them. Well, that was always our goal, is the, the the player who would be like staring straight ahead, completely ignoring us, but then they'd do a little bit of a smirk or a grin, like, yes, we got him, we knew it. Um, yeah, exactly. That's the, You know you got him then, right? Well, Drew Doughty started off like first couple times swearing, yelling, cussing us, whatever. And then by the end, our final game against the Kings, and he took a selfie with us. So I was like, all right, we, we, we wore down Drew Doughty. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. He was a jam. We never got to face you, though. So that was, uh, I mean, it's probably for the best that you were wearing a blue shirt at the time, but uh, that would have been pretty epic. I yeah, I was happy to be on your guys' side. <laughs> yeah, happy to, happy to have you. Um, so speaking of crazy fans, uh, this is this is a nice segue here. And by the way, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, but NHL lockout year 2012, you head to the Netherlands, you play for the Tilburg Trappers, you tear up the league, and you earn the nickname Dutch Gretzky. I mean, that that comes with some cachet. I mean, what what was your year in the Netherlands like? Uh, you know what? I honestly can't say enough good things about that place. I had so much fun. Um, me and my wife now, uh, we just recently started dating for a couple months um i was back in winnipeg and i was sitting there and i like you know this is after two years in the nhl i finally established myself sorry after my first year and then i called my agent i was like look i can't sit at home and just skate like this like that's not giving me the best chance to succeed if we do start up so i was like you know what i don't know how long this is going to be i'll go anywhere just get me on a team i want to leave right now he literally called me back in about an hour he's like i have this team right outside Amsterdam I was like done let's let's make it happen and then uh you know within a day or two I was on a plane uh we went over there I was there for three months and I honestly had the best time I've never been to Europe before uh before going there and just the lifestyle everything man I had such a good time the fans there the people were amazing so I'm I'm really curious I mean 
you know, at the time, you, you're going through, like, the tort system and stuff. You're getting, like, third, fourth-line grinder minutes. Did it ever cross your mind, like, maybe I should just stick it out here in the Netherlands and be a god for the next <laughs> 10 or 15 years? <laughs> uh, that didn't cross my mind for a second. <laughs> I think the paychecks might be just a little just bit different. A little different. Yeah, the, the paychecks were slightly different, but... Um, no, honestly, I, I had such a good time there. Uh, it, it was fun, you know, where even with Gino, um, I was in a fourth-line role. I was fighting more than I wanted to, um, and I knew I could do more. And it was just, you know, regardless of how, how talented the league was or where it was, it was just nice to get back to playing hockey, scoring goals, and being a big part of the team. I think I, I really missed that. Well, and that's kind of where you excelled is after the lockout when you get the, that opportunity with Montreal and you start – Plotting of 10, 15 goals a season. And then that leads you to cashing in with the Philadelphia Flyers. You get the four year deal. What made you go to Philly? Were there other offers on the table? Was that some, like, it's a, it's a tough city to play in. Uh, what made you be drawn to Philadelphia? Yeah. You know what? Financially, um, I, I had about eight or nine teams that were all within, you know, almost the exact same number. So it was kind of where I, where I thought I would succeed best. Um, I looked at Philly's roster. I honestly thought they were a little short on the third, fourth line, right side. Um, that's where I saw myself slotting in. Uh, Ron Hextall had a lot of good things to say, so he kind of won me over with that. And then, um, uh, you know what? It, I don't have the answer with, with, uh, with what happened. You know, I went there and it was kind of like deja vu to, to when I was just breaking into the league where playing minimal minutes and, and, and not getting much of an opportunity. And it was almost like... Um, you know, you're kind of back to square one where you worked so hard to show everyone that you could finally do more and be more. And I, I proved that I could. And then you go back and, and they're paying you like you are and, and not giving the opportunity, man. It was frustrating. No, that's fair. A question about the fans, though, in Philly. Like, you know, especially as a, especially as a scrapper, I mean, that, that's how you win over, you know, the fans in the city, city of brotherly love there is that, I mean, I was, I was found like, you know, in watching, you know, games over there, the team plays horrible in the first period. You get booed off the ice. But if a guy steps up and has a huge tilt, uh, the fans are right back in it. Then I went to see a game in Philly actually last year, and that's exactly how it is. Like The, the fans, you can win them over in two seconds with a great scrap. Yeah, it, I, I mean, it is. But um, as an outside fan watching Philly, that's something I was excited about. Um, you know, I thought their team fit my style. Um, I, I always loved playing there as a road building. I thought it was loud. The fans were great. It was exciting. And I can honestly say from being on the home team, uh, I don't have many positive things to say about the fan base. Uh, that's, that's no disrespect to them, but um, I don't know. Maybe they thought I was making too much money for what I was playing or what it was, but it was, uh, I had a hard time there. Um, you know, I'd be at, we'd be at team signings in the rink and doing community things. And um, I'd have people just shredding me at these events. So it was, uh, it was interesting, man. I think um, our teams, obviously for the three, you know, Two and almost three quarters of a year that I was there, our teams, um, you know, weren't the best team. So they uh, they let us have it. I think there was more booing than cheering. All right, a few more minutes with Dale Weiss on Green Man Radio with Sully and Force. I really want to know, we heard you talk about it a little bit uh, over the last week or so with Alex Burroughs going to the Ring of Honor, but he is currently your assistant coach. What is it like to have Burroughs as a coach? Uh, it's awesome, man. You know what? He's the exact same guy as he was as a teammate. Uh, he loves to come in and sit down with the boys. I think sometimes, uh, you know, he's sitting there having breakfast and, and you know, he realizes he's a coach. He's got to kind of remove himself from that a little bit. But, um, 
you know, it's been great for me, obviously coming on Vancouver, he was a guy that kind of took me under his wing and, and was, you know, tremendous with me. And, um, I really looked up to him. So obviously having him as a coach now is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, we, we have some cool stories that we can't quite tell the boys, uh, here about him as a player. I think you got to kind of keep that professional side, but, um, I, I'm really enjoying, uh, having him as a coach. Little blackmail, perhaps. Uh, hey, I, I need some more uh, minutes tonight, or you might be uh, hear a little Roxy story or two. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't pulled those out yet. Maybe I'm waiting a little bit. <laughs> you've, uh, you've had a beauty career thus far. Your, your LinkedIn game, your resume is strong as far as uh, teams in the league go. But uh, I want to know of all the beauties you've played with, best roommate, best teammate you've had thus far. Oh, best roommate and best teammate. Uh, they could be one and the same. I don't know. Uh, really hard to pick just one, but I, um, you know, I started in the minors with Michael Delzato. Uh, we kind of grew up together in the New York system, uh, summer camps and then playing in Hartford and New York. And then we got a chance to play in Philly together. Um, I think he's probably, uh, he's probably my number one, just an amazing human being. Uh, he's one of the funniest guys I know, uh, player teammate off ice he's uh he's just an absolute treat to be around so he uh he would probably be my favorite delzato's got a hell of a head of hair on him um <laughs> does, is it nice going out and playing his wingman oh it's amazing man i just love to, to just hang out with him and and uh you know what he's one of the one of the best characters i've met off the game um the way he talks his flow uh his style he's got a lot going for him nice uh best Fights, or let's say not best fighter, uh, toughest fighter. Let's let's put it that way. Toughest fighter you've ever faced. Oh, toughest fighter I've ever faced. Um, good question. Uh, Maybe hardest punch. I, hardest punch. Um, hardest I've ever been hit. I don't know if he's the hardest puncher, but um, I think Brandon Bolig is probably the hardest I've been hit. Um, he hit me with one, and I was like. I was on my feet, but I was seeing stars and trying to regain myself. That was probably the hardest I've been hit. Um, hard to say who the toughest guy I fought was. Um, that's a tough question. I can't answer that one. I, I, maybe I've been hit too many times. I can't remember. <laughs> well, who's, who's a guy that, I mean, that you wanted to face that just like got under your skin? And, and, and this is what I love about, what about scrappers is that it's, it's usually just like a respectful thing. It's, like, it's almost like a dance. You go out, you do it, but everyone's you know, a beauty afterwards sort of thing. Um, it's just yeah, to get the team of, going. Yeah, one of my I, I would have to say uh, Zen and Kanaka. Then that would be my pick. Um, I fought him. I, I played against him in the minors a little bit when I was younger, uh, and I was always kind of a fan of him. He, he obviously had no fear for anybody. It's always a guy that I kind of wanted to fight. I fought him once, and then I seen him in a bar about two weeks later, and we were laughing. And he's like, "Man, I'm playing on the power play now. Like, I can't fight you tomorrow." And I was like, "Still in <laughs> Vancouver. I wasn't playing a lot." I was like, "Come on, come on." And then I ended up fighting him two times the next day. Uh, I asked him in warm-up. I was like, hey, you want to go right away? What do you think? And he goes, no, man, I can't. I can't. I'm playing a lot. Like, okay. And then my first shift, he pretty much jumps me from behind me. Doesn't even give me a chance. Uh, he quick, quick starts me. So then I had to fight him a little later in the third period. But we, uh, we had some good laughs in the telling box about it after. That's hilarious. I remember I, I interviewed Konopka once after a game. I shook his hand, and my hand disappeared. The, the guy's walking around with baseball gloves. It's ridiculous. He had some big, big mitts on him. Uh, and a, a good fighter, like really, really good grappler. Uh, very strong. Control both hands. He was, uh, he was a difficult guy to fight. All right. The final question for you. There's a lot of flack going around on coaches these days. Um, a lot of accusations going around. But let's 
switch it up a little bit. Best coach you ever had, guy that brought the best out of you. I got to give two guys, uh, Dean Chanel, uh, he, I had him in junior for three years. Um, definitely turned me into a really, really good junior player into, um, you know, an NHL prospect. I, I truly owe a lot to him. And then, um, obviously Michelle Terrian, uh, first NHL coach to truly, truly believe that I could be more than a fourth line player and, and to give me the opportunity. Um, I, I owe a tremendous amount to him too. Man, Burroughs is a devoted listener and he did not get a shout out. He did not make the list. You're not getting those power play minutes. <laughs> That's a, it's a different story. I can't say him now. I thought we were talking NHL, you know. So, uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, though, I, uh, just to give a quick shout-out to him, um, he, he thinks the game so well, obviously playing with the Sedin Twins the way he did, um, as a guy that truly fit in and, and thought the game on their level. Uh, he handles our power play. The stuff that he comes up with is amazing. I think it's only a matter of time before he's in the NHL. Beauty, buddy. Uh, fantastic interview. Can't thank you enough, man. Uh, Dale Weiss, the Dutch Gretzky. Thanks for joining us on Green Men Radio, buddy. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime. There you go. That again, brought to you by PastimeSports.ca. What a beaut. That was an awesome interview. He, came, he came guns a-blazing. He yeah, was ready. I expected nothing less from this guy, but like totally open book, just an absolute gem. He might be one of the very first players to ever, on the record publicly state that the Canucks tracked the green men. Yeah. Right? I like, like that. The fact that they knew in the room that we were getting under Drew Daddy's skin and, like, they appreciated it, that's so cool. That, like, that is such a payoff for me. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's all we, like, we are still fans, but, like, we were the biggest Canuck fans on the planet, and we were actually making an impact on the game in some weird way. It's pretty wicked. And, like, that they were in the room, like, yeah, like, we got a power play, boys. Like, the green men, like, got the crowd fighter. That's so cool. That's pretty awesome, man. And, and also, I mean, another Green Men Radio exclusive. We've been popping these up every show so far. Why break the trend now? Learning about John Tortorella coming in nice and cool. All right, guys, let's just uh, let's calm down now. And then storming down the hallway. That's there ha- amazing. I would love to, yeah, like what happened? What was the trigger in between that? Did he like see someone? Did someone say something? Yeah. But awesome. So good. So uh, good. And then the, the Zed and Kanopka fight. Which hilarious. <laughs> like, man, I guess. These enforcers, man. I don't know if it's just because, like, they're big guys or maybe they lift a little more in the gym, calluses in the hands. I don't know. Or because they just, you know, they grew up punching people in the head and punching helmets. But their hands are huge. Oh, yeah. Did you it, ever see the the Netflix documentary? It's called, like, The Enforcers. or uh, I know I, what you're talking about. No, I never saw it. So they would, like purposely get calluses on their hands like scott parker remember the avalanche tough guy yeah yeah it's scott parker right yeah yeah he uh would wrap bike chains around his knuckles and then go outside and punch a tree in his backyard all of august until his knuckles were bloody and it would constantly scab over all summer so when he entered training camp it was like callous knuckles so when he punched someone it would hurt more oh my gosh uh let's try and keep it on the rails for our next segment because coming up in just a few minutes we have another beauty interview with another former canuck albeit just three games sean pronger joins green man radio on sportsnet 650 and at 8 30 again twitter q a hit us up with your questions at the green men at adam forsyth and at sullivan cooper we are live on sportsnet 650 green man radio and we'll be back in a few minutes we now return to green men radio with adam forsyth and ryan sullivan on sportsnet 650 brought to you by pastime sports and games Baby. There ain't no easy way 
hour number two of Green Men Radio on Sportsnet 650. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Adam Forsyth and Ryan Sullivan with you for the next 60 minutes. In just a few minutes, we'll be joined by former Canuck Sean Pronger. And that's not just the only team he played for, Ryan. He played for 16 teams over 11 seasons. He is the true ultimate journeyman. He wrote a book about it. We're going to get into all that stuff. I'm expecting big things from Mr. Pronger. Uh, maybe touch on his brother Chris, Hockey Hall of Famer, all that kind of stuff. And then at 8.30, the Twitter Q&A segment. Hit us up with your questions. They're already flooding in to our Twitter account, at the Green Men. But if you want yours on air, let us know. Uh, do you remember much from Sean Pronger? Like, I have... I don't well, I remember, remember much of the Canucks stuff. I do remember with the Blue Jackets, though. I, I remember 33% of his games with the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> okay. Because one was obviously pretty damn memorable in that Todd Bertuzzi, Steve Moore night. Can you imagine? Like, he only had three games with this team, and one of which is one of the most memorable, albeit for a horrible reason, games in NHL history. He was there. He was on the ice. First-hand experience. We're going to get it momentarily. For the, yeah, for the Todd Bertuzzi thing, it just uh, an unfortunate way for uh, Pronger to come back to the team that drafted him because I don't yeah. think a lot of people knew the Canucks drafted him. He didn't get any games early in the 90s with them before moving on. Uh, he was also, uh, what I remember with the Blue Jackets is he was kind of uh, a protector of a young Rick Nash. So I would love to kind of get some stories yeah, behind that. Of like, you know, he's the journeyman and you got this hotshot 18-year-old and you're like, hey, that's your assignment. Make sure that this kid doesn't screw up or doesn't get his face beat in. And I think he did it pretty well, which is why he was so successful at like extending his NHL career. Uh, a bunch of cool stuff. I mean, we are looking at, he was traded a bunch. I mean, you have to be if you're playing for 16 oh, yeah. teams. He was part of some big trades though. Chris, <laughs> I want to say Chris Pronger. Sorry, Sean. In 1998, traded from the Penguins to the Rangers alongside Peter Nedved. And Ooh. going the other way was Alexi Kovalev. Wow. So, I mean, if I'm him, I'm just telling, I'm completely ignoring the Peter Nedved part of it. But yeah, I got traded for Alexi Kovalev. And Harry York. Oh, yeah. Don't forget about Harry York. Come on now. He's the most important of all he the Yorks. He headlined that deal. Absolutely. That, and, is, that is pretty crazy. Uh, and then the other one, too, was, uh, I, I guess they kind of looked at him as valuable. He was traded from the Ducks to the Penguins for Patrick Laleem. And Laleem yeah. was coming off that breaking into the NHL where it was like 20 games in a row he didn't lose. Yeah, yeah. Just I'm just reading through. So you made some you made some notes here, some bullet points of his trades and like the timeline. So you could see like how valuable he was at the start of his career. And and I love the guy. He's a beauty. But just where you know things were going from there, because he goes traded for Lalim, traded for Kovalev, traded for Eric Lacroix, and then traded for future considerations. So. I think that's probably around the time when he thought, you know what, maybe I'll head over to Germany. Don't dismiss the Canuck trade, though. The blockbuster. Oh, I'm sorry. That was was the big one. The Blue Jackets and the Canucks coming together because the Canucks wanted Sean Pronger, but they had to pay a steep price for him. Mm -hmm. They'd go all the way down the alphabet to Z. Zenith Kominsky. Komarniski. Komarniski, see? That's how valuable he was. (laughs) Don't give him the Kominsky. Two very different players. The Kominsky method. Netflix. Uh, that's how valuable he was. He had two last names. So we're going to get into all of that with Pronger. And this one, I am I think I'm looking forward to this one. I think he's based out in like California now. He's chilling at Newport Beach. This guy is living the retired life that I want now that I'm done wearing a green suit. Yeah. Um, and this interview, again, because for no reason at all, sponsored by PastimeSports.ca. I want to give him as much love as possible because it's a great Christmas destination. Everything sports you can imagine. Oh, I've hit it up on Black Friday. 
There yeah. were some deals. I got I got a signed jersey on the way. I've got people some sweet hockey little knickknacks. They have, believe it or not, 1991 jockey trading cards. <laughs> they, they got it. <laughs> if you can en- envision some form of a sports trading card, not even sport, a trading card in general, yeah. they have it. If Upper Deck or Parkhurst or ProSet has ever thought of the most random idea like best pro bowlers of the year or something, there's trading cards, and you can find them at Pastime Sports. It's incredible. They had sailing cards. They had, like, a Hannah Montana set, which is awesome. The one thing I actually would suggest, if you know, like, the, the what's the game, the Bad Santa or, like, the where you can steal Christmas presents? Everyone has a different name for it. Oh, yeah. Um, like, everyone kind of gets, like, a $10 gift, and then yeah. you put it in the middle. and it, The dice. Yeah. And yeah. There's Naughty Santa. There's a bunch of weird names for it. Never called it that. No, I'm from I Surrey. I don't know what game you're playing. <laughs> the Naughty Santa. It's a whole different game. Okay. Right. Uh, but one suggestion I have is go to Pastime Sports, and they have the craziest catalog of like high print glossy 8x10s with the most obscure players' autographs, yeah. and you can get them for like 10, 15, 20 bucks. They're great deals, and I guarantee you that that's the gift that's being stolen. Like I Last time I was in there for the Black Friday deal, I found a Sergio Mameso 8x10. Oh, yeah, the anchor. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I regret not buying it. I got to go back and try and track that thing down. You could probably track down a Zenith Komarniski if you're lucky. Possibly. He might work there. <laughs> he very well might. <laughs> you're not wrong. All right. So, Pastime Sports, again, thank you for the love. They are the presenting sponsor for this interview, Sean Pronger. All right. Our next guest, one of the most decorated players in NHL history, at least in terms of traveling teams. Uh, owning the nickname Journeyman, one of the absolute beauties of the league. He highlighted his career in the best-selling book, Journeyman, the many triumphs and even more defeats of a guy who's seen just about everything in hockey, from being a Canucks draft pick to playing for 16 teams over 11 seasons to having a brother in the Hockey Hall of Fame. There isn't much this guy has not done or been through. Welcome to Green Men Radio, Mr. Sean Pronger. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, buddy. I like that. That's a nice touch. I'm not to rip. Put that on my new uh, LinkedIn profile, I think. Yeah, well, we got to butter you up at the top, you know. That's that's <laughs> quite the salesman. Yeah, right. There you go. Um, all right, buddy. Why don't we just uh, why don't we go right back to the very start uh, of your NHL career, uh, the 1991 NHL entry draft. You're in Buffalo. You're taken 51st overall by the Vancouver Canucks. Your dreams come true. I'm assuming for a 19 or 20 year old, you probably end up going back to Canada to party. But let's talk about draft night. You're wearing your jersey. You know, what, what do you remember? What do you take away from that night? Well, uh, first of all, the draft itself, like, um, I mean, people nowadays have more info. There's like, you know, agents or family advisors. You know, it was just me and my dad. We had no one to really tell us what to do. We, we walked in the front door like we were going to go watch the draft. I didn't realize you had to go to sit in a, a certain section. I'd met with the Canucks the day before, so they knew I was there. So they called my name. I couldn't even get down to the floor. Like, I had to negotiate with the security guard to get down. I'm like, hey, buddy, I just got drafted. He's like, yeah, I don't think so. I go, no, I, you just called my name. I need to get down there. <laughs> you wouldn't let me down there. It took me like 15 minutes to get down there. And by that time, I was like probably 20, it was, 20, it was like 20 picks later. And so I actually, I think I got my picture taken, you know, with the uh, 99th pick of the draft. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was frustrating to get down there, but no one tells you anything. Like, we didn't know what to do. We just kind of showed up. I, I, might, I may even have to pay to get in. I can't remember if they were charging people. <laughs> I was going to ask, but, did they um, give you tickets? No, I had nothing. 
Remember, we just walked in. Like, we walked in the front, like, like you know, it's like we just parked the car and walk in the front like regular fans. <laughs> so that was, that was funny. Um, and then that night, um, I, I'm i sure I had some beers and stuff. When I wore my jersey, I think I might have taken it off by the time I got to the hotel, but we did go, yeah, check that. I did go to the bar that night because I remember Landon Wilson was wearing his jersey in the bar. I think he was like the only guy that got drafted that was wearing his jersey actually out in the bar. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember my dad had three martinis um, that night. That was the one thing that stands out. <laughs> the, is that uh, was that a, a like, drinker? That's a lot. That's a lot. Of all right, there we go. That makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Did you go back to the security guard with your jersey on and be like, "Hey, you see?" <laughs> no. no, I was just happy that they let, they gave me a jersey. I wasn't about to poke the bear. <laughs> All right, well, look at the NHL headlines this week, or this week, this month, this season, in fact. It's kind of all been dominated about the, the coaches and the, the run-ins with bad coaches. And you've had a lot of legendary coaches in your career. One of them that really stuck out to me is one of my favorite all-time coaches, Pat Burns. Uh, was he a hard-ass or was he, like, a, a great guy? I, it's kind of hard to get a read on him. Yeah, he was a hard-ass, I would say. Um, I loved it, though, because he was very honest. In the media, like, he would come in and just tear us you know, you go up one side of us and down the other and call guys out. And, uh, but then out like to the media, like, you know, I think at the time when I was, uh, we were in like a six game losing streak or something like that. He would kind of defend us in the, in public and, you know, beat us down in private, uh, which, I mean, it's just what you do. I mean, it's just the kind of way it was back then. And, um, he was definitely hard, but, uh, I, I think fair. And you had 16 teams over 11 seasons that, I, that, is that a record? That's going to be close, right? I don't, I don't I don't know. There's some guys that got some pretty impressive um, games, or sorry, uh, teams. Like I think someone's in the 20s. You know, those are, I had seven different NHL teams. I think Sillinger might have 11. There may be some guys with maybe a little bit more, but I remember playing with Silly, and uh, we were joking that we had pretty much the whole league covered, um, him and I. So you have 16... 16- uh, yeah teams uh you got roommates across the board everyone's got the horrible roommate stories i've room with sully when we traveled in our green man days and he was a nightmare it's just a disaster i'm a diva and uh but anything good like who is you got a best or worst roommate out there you know what i was always lucky i'm trying to think that i mean i can't even i'm not gonna name names because it gets the guy in trouble but i it was when i first got called up i was rooming with a guy he got basically hammered the night before, like we we playing an afternoon game. Like he came, like he acted, he was acting like it was like four in the afternoon. It was like two in the morning. He turned the TV on, lights on, so, starts eating chips right <laughs> next to me. And it's two in the morning. I'm playing like I think it's my maybe third game in NHL, and I got this guy just <laughs> not make not making it very easy for me to get a good night's sleep. Put it that way. I want to get into the uh, the scrap stuff, and, and and we'll definitely get into that in a little bit. But first off. Um, you know, one of the biggest things from from your time in Vancouver, anyhow, is uh, one of the few games that uh, you had the honor of playing in in, a, in that old Canucks silver and red and black sweater uh, was one of the worst days in, in pro hockey, really, uh, was the Steve Moore-Todd Bertuzzi incident. And you were on the ice when Todd Bertuzzi came around and smacked Moore from behind. Can you kind of walk us through that shift, what was going through your mind, then you jump into the pile um, just kind of, you know, it, you know, from what you remember, I'm sure it's uh, like there was so much going on. It's probably a hazy memory, but um, if you can walk us through and relive that. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was just a bad situation, you know, like the whole, 
you know, Brad May put a bounty on his head like a couple months earlier. It was just a bad. Like, I felt bad for Steve Moore because he definitely didn't want to be on the ice at all that game because everybody was trying to get a piece of him. And, you know, it just happened to be the game got out. Of, I think it was 5 nothing after the first period for Colorado. And um, it just, uh, you know, as the game went on, you could just see more and more guys trying to get at him. And then I think it was the third period maybe. Yeah, third period. Um, I happened to go out, and he is – He's the right winger. I was playing left wing, so I went right over. To, I was supposed to, you know, cover that side, and so he was right in front of me. So I kind of just cross-checked him gently in the shoulder and said, let's go. And he wouldn't look at me, and he just skated down the ice. And then he got kind of in, you know, missile lock. Uh, Bertuzzi got missile lock on him and saw him and grabbed him. Like, I didn't see him hit him. I just heard it. I heard the crowd. And then I just saw them both go down, and then I saw one of their guys jump on Bertuzzi's back. So then I jumped. It was uh, Andre Nicolition. So then I jumped on him, and so we're all in the pile, and Nicolition is, like, screaming at, like, to get off. He is hurt, and I can see through the, see the blood pooling on the ice. It was awful. And then uh, they, they, they pulled – somebody was on top of me. They pulled that person off, pulled me off, pulled Nicolition off. And the next time, I swear to God, the next time I saw Todd Bertuzzi was four years later in the Anaheim Ducks practice rink. Wow. That was it. Because they pulled him off. They escorted him off the ice. He was uh, showered out of the building before we got in after the period. And then I got sent, sent down the next morning and never to see him again until four years later when he got signed with Anaheim. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy, man. So, so what, yeah. like, there was always a debate. Was it the pile or was it his head initially hitting the ice? I mean, that was the, that caused everything that, you know, that, that, that broke his neck. I mean, there was no way to tell. But, you know, being in that pile, was it a pretty hefty, I mean, you well, know, four or five yeah, NHLers. Already, I mean, he was already, like, knocked out. I think it was the punch and the ice that caused it. And, the, I mean, the, the pile up was just, you know, it happened quickly and it was already, the damage was already done. Yeah. Now, I mean, let's take that and let's put that aside, the Steve Moore incident. That game, and, you know, it all probably takes some flack for throwing this out, but as a fan, because I was at that game, um, you know, I, 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 and I was always a, you know, I was always a fan of, of the scraps, the safe scraps, of course, but, you know, they get everyone out of their seat. It's, all, it's always a huge thing. Um, and that was total fight night. I mean, that was, you know, you had May against Worrell, rounds one and two, um, you know, Hedberg came out. He was calling Abisher down all night. He came out to center ice. I think it was twice. If Hedberg had gotten a piece of Abisher, who would you put your money on? So you got a Swede against a, a Swiss goalie. I, yeah. I mean, I think Abisher was, had the reach advantage on him, so you never know. But uh, yeah, Johan, he's pretty scrappy, so I'd have to go with uh, the Moose. Yeah, the moose definitely. Um, okay, so now your your final year, you head over to Germany. Uh, you, you play some puck over there. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was. Uh, I enjoyed. It. I mean, other than I played bad, but uh, oh, setting that aside, um, I enjoyed playing over there. I mean, living in Europe was cool. The hockey was really good. I mean, it was the lockout year, so there was you know a lot of NHL guys there, and the fans are like it's like a like, you know how they are in soccer. Well, it's like that you know, shrink it down and put a roof on it. And that's what, like, they're singing, dancing, pounding on drums. Um, it's pretty exciting to, to play over there. And the hockey was really good. Yeah, oh, that, that's wicked. I went to a, a baseball game uh, a summer ago in Japan, and it's one of those things where you're like, oh, they, they don't know what's going on. But those other countries, they go crazy. The chants, like, the, the fans are into it all game long. It's just it's a whole other experience, you know? 
Um, yeah, I remember playing. I played an exhibition game. It was in August. Like, I was like amazed that we were playing games in August. But I, and the fan, it was, the building was packed. Yeah, it was. Uh, they're they're crazy. It's amazing. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's cap off with with a few quick notes here. Um, you know, you got into a few dust ups. I mean, you 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 weren't known as a you weren't known as, as as a fighter. I wouldn't say throughout your career, but you did have a quite a few dust ups. Um, you know, who's the toughest guy you ever faced? Um, I'm trying to think here. Well, I fought Brad Brown. That did not go very well. Uh, he was a you know big defenseman for the Minnesota Wild. He was tough. Time. Like six four, six five, but he was a lefty, which I didn't know. <laughs> I found out the hard way. Um, that was kind of funny because uh, he had run over. Rick Nash was 18 at the time, and uh, Jamie Allison, who was known to fight and could certainly handle himself, um, was the closest player there on our team. But I knew that him and Brad Brown are like best friends, so I was a little bit further away. But I'm like, oh gosh. So then I went over there and got <laughs> pounded on <laughs> for Jamie and Rick. Um, and then I fought Reed Simpson uh, as well. Another tough guy. Ooh. Yeah, that did not go that well either. It went, actually, it went well at the start, and then it went downhill very quickly. Um, I just remember, <laughs> uh, somehow he had me facing, like, I, I think I came to basically, he had me like hogtied on my knees facing the other way. Like it was weird. <laughs> I never got hit in the face though, which was, which was nice. But I remember him looking at me because he had played with my brother in St. Louis, and I remember him, we were literally squared off at center ice, because he, he, he hit somebody, I think, and I was like right there, I'm like, God, I gotta, do, I gotta do this again, and so we were like dancing at center ice, and he's looking at me like, are you kidding me? Are you, are you, are you, like, almost like, you can skate away right now, and we'll be fine, and he's like, alright, then he came in, and I think I popped him one, and he looked at me like, okay then, and then next thing you know, the refs are pulling him off me. <laughs> Um, f- final question for me. Worst ass kicking you ever took? Was it the Brad Brown? Was it was was it the Brown? Was actually in the minors, and it was I was with the Manitoba Moose. So as you may or may not know, I grew up in Dryden, Ontario, which is like four and a half four hours from Winnipeg, and so it was a home game. I had buddies in the stands, like family in the stands, and we're winning six one. There's like a minute left in the game. Well, I was their captain. Travis Hansen, I think his name is, he unloaded, like, he body-checked Kirill Koltsov. You remember that name? Oh, oh yeah. there you go. Russian, yeah. Kir- Kir- nice Kir- throwback, yeah. He was on my team, and he got absolutely drilled where he, like, he on my skates. And so we're going, like, haymaker, like, haymaker, haymaker. And I must have lifted my head up sooner than I should have, and he caught me in the temple. But I, I was like, at, at the time, I thought the ref hit me because I was like, like, I woke up face down on the ice and the ref, the ref on my back. And he's like, it's all right, buddy. It's over. It's over. I'm like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> so that was probably the worst one because I had to go see my buddies after the game and <laughs> they're laughing at me, which is, yeah, which is always the um, scary part about getting in a fight with your friends in the stands. Saying it's over. You didn't even know it started. Uh, that's uh, that's awesome, man. Sorry? Oh. We and we we lost a little bit of you uh, throughout the uh, throughout the last question there, but you, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I got you now. You were you were cutting in and out a little bit in the last question there, but I think we got the gist of it. Yeah, uh, you came through on the temple, and and that's pretty much all she wrote for you. So uh, now, yeah, apparently I can't take a punch to the temple. It's like <laughs> it's like you hit a button and my legs gave out. <laughs> yeah, so then I had to try to skate off 
like under my own power without like falling over in front of both benches. So, yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> oh, final one for me uh, here, and then we'll get you out of here. But uh, retirement life, what uh, what what are you up to now? Are you still playing hockey, a little beer league, or just you know enjoying life? Yeah, well, try you know trying to enjoy life. Um, play hockey like a couple charity games a year. Um, you know, just kind of enjoying you know watching my kids grow up and and uh you know the, the the easy life of living in southern california i i you know how do i say it i i uh i'm in sales so i beg money with a suit on <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad way to live in the sunny skies of california yeah not too shabby buddy uh well next time you're up this way uh beer is on us for sure uh but uh yeah until then thanks for coming on man truly do appreciate it you got it. That portion of the show is sponsored by Yuck Yucks Comedy Club. John Hastings in town December 13th and 14th. John doing stand-up since 2006. He's got tons of credits. He won the Just for Last Montreal Comedy Festival homegrown comedy competition. It's been called the one to watch by the Comedy Network. Huge in Australia, and he's going to be huge in Vancouver. A couple of special performances again December 13th and 14th. Get your tickets at yuckyucks.com. Sully, another fantastic interview. Sean Pronger bringing the goods. Uh, going kind of behind the scenes of the Todd Bertuzzi, Steve Moore incident. I mean, even he said like, what a weird way to go about. And I didn't know that like, he didn't see Bertuzzi, see him again for four yeah. years. Crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. Um, such a, such an awesome interview. And I mean, those stories tip of the iceberg with this guy. I read his book journeyman. It's fantastic. You can track it down on Amazon. It's available through a bunch of random book sites as well. Um, highly, highly recommended with Christmas around the corner. It is a fantastic read. Yeah, him and uh, Sports Dance Dan Murphy helping him write that book. So shout out to Dan because it is a great read. Uh, tons of cool stories in there. Again, like you were saying, like just the obscure cities he played in. My favorite story was right off the top for him, though. How, how, like, can you imagine in today's NHL where like a top two round guy? has to buy his way into the NHL draft. Yeah. He bought a ticket. Security says no chance. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The whole NHL is waiting for him to come down the stairs, and this one, like, rent-a-cop is saying, no, I don't think so. Love it. Flashing the badge. Good stuff. Uh, again, cannot thank Sean enough for coming on. Coming up next on Green Man Radio on Sportsnet 650, we're turning it over to you. Twitter Q&A. Hit us up with your questions at the Green Men, at Adam Forsythe, and at Sullivan Vancouver on Twitter, and we will answer them next. You got it locked. Green Man Radio on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Green Men Radio with Adam Forsythe and Ryan Sullivan on Sportsnet 650. Brought to you by PastimeSports.ca. We are back. Our final segment for Green Men Radio on Sportsnet 650. Our third episode nearing an epic conclusion, Sully. Hmm. Yes, welcome back. Uh, you got it locked to Sportsnet 650. It is the two idiots in green suits who used to sit beside the penalty box at Canuck Games, and someone gave us a radio show. Still not sure how that person's still employed. No. But either way, we're having fun with it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us so far tonight. If you've been tuning in, we've had a couple of great interviews with Dale Weiss and Sean Pronger, former Canuck greats. Pronger, yeah. all three games of it. <laughs> uh, memorable games, though. The, yeah, certainly one of them was memorable. So a couple of great interviews. And for this segment, we are turning it over to you guys. So the question's still rolling into our Twitter feed, at the Green Men. We are taking uh, what we call this one, the Twitter Q&A. Because over the years, I get the same questions pretty much on repeat over and over and over again. And I, I enjoy answering them. Yeah. But hopefully by putting them out onto a platform like this, if you have a question about 
something we did over the years. It can be about anything. This is an open forum conversation, but uh, Green Man related, if you want it to be, we'll get the the answer to you. So again, tweet us at the Green Men. Our personal accounts are at Adam Forsyth and at Sulla Vancouver because it's Ryan Sullivan. He's from Vancouver. Yeah. It's Sulla Vancouver. It's so clever. Yeah. I uh, all right. So uh, over the weekend we were having some beers, and you kind of started to tell me an epic childhood story, and I said save it for the show because this sounds great. Yeah. I need to get to the bottom while these questions are still rolling into our Twitter account. I, I need you to kick things off. What the hell happened between you and Chris Chelios when you were a kid? Yeah. So the reason that I brought it up was because uh, you know a, a great hockey podcast. I mean, obviously download this one first, but spit and chicklets, as we all know. Is a beautiful thing. Uh, they were talking about Chris Chelios the other day, and he was going through some cool stories. And uh, one of the epic stories uh, that I have of Chelios, one of my favorite memories of this guy is when he was playing in Detroit. Uh, it was 2002, I believe it was, when that was the Canucks-Detroit series. Yeah, the yeah. Cloutier Beach Ball goal. That's the one. Okay. And uh, so anyways, Canucks come back. They're up two games to none. Uh, you know, everyone's thinking, oh, this is the year. It's going to be amazing. And, you know, this is when Brian Burke goes off on his rant to, um, you know, Sedin is not Swedish for punch me in the head and yada, yada. It was an awesome moment, of course. There's a huge war brewing in this series. And none bigger than between Chris Chelios and Todd Bertuzzi. These guys were going back and forth uh, the whole series long. All, you know, <laughs> it didn't end up being a hell of a series after they came back to Vancouver. But they're going back and forth, and it was pretty epic. Um, you know, Bertuzzi was getting the crowd riled up the whole time. Chelios finally takes a stupid penalty, comes into the box. I'm, let's see, 2002, I'm 15, 16 years old, uh, and I'm giving it to Chelios. I'm beacon. Um, obviously, I didn't think that I was going to have a career in journalism, so that's why I just let loose. Um, keep it a clean, of course, you know, family-friendly stuff. But uh, Chelios stands up. He looks at me, and he stands up, and he points at security, points down at me, and starts waving for security to come down. So he's, he's standing up in the box, and as you do, I mean, you're probably like four or five rows up if you're standing up in that penalty box, right? Four or five rows high. Um, and so everybody's looking down, and security, I look back, and he just goes, no, I don't think so. He's not coming down. Uh, it, was, it was a lovely moment of camaraderie, and little did we know, years later, we'd form a beautiful friendship with security guards at Rogers Arena, but uh, it was a great moment. I loved it, and that was my, uh, my Chelios story. And then, of course, once the Red Wings won in Vancouver, Chelios was named one of the three stars and he didn't, he didn't mention this in one of his stories, but he came out on the ice, and it was just like, it was very bittersweet. Obviously, as a Canucks fan, you hated it, but it was so funny because um, he was just biggest smile on his face, and he started waving to the Vancouver fans because we were done. We were eliminated. He was waving. It was just, it was a great moment. He is like the OG for like 90s NHL trolls. Yeah, oh yeah. He, he was awesome. Yeah. The, my first ever, uh, actually NHL game, but it was Canucks, was the last game ever played at the Civic Coliseum, and it was... Chris Chelios scoring in overtime nice. for the Blackhawks to knock the Canucks out of the playoffs. Yeah. And I think uh, I think every game in that ser- series went to OT or something. But anyways, Chelios scores, and he did the same thing. Complete troll job. And I'm like, a devastated seven-year-old. Oh, yeah, of course. But that was kind of cool. First, first, like, you experienced a couple of Coliseum games, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, no, I, I experienced a ton of Coliseum games. I mean, my memory of them, probably just like yours, pretty fuzzy. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I love that barn and, and I was, I thought it was such a great idea. Obviously now I see how stupid it is. Um, uh, but you know, you do the vintage Jersey nights, do a vintage arena nights. The Milwaukee Bucks did it a couple of years ago. They went back to their old barn. Uh, you just saw the giants play at Rogers arena. That's who, never, who ever, ever. at the Coliseum. No. Uh, yeah, yeah no. it'd be pretty wild, man. I don't know. Get like the pizza two, two, two and the BC tell ads up top again, you know? Oh boy. 
Okay. Uh, there, maybe, maybe I'm aging myself. A I just bit. say, did you go to a Giants Vancouver Giants game when they were at the Coliseum? Like that place. <laughs> Those needs, curtains got bigger every year. That place needs to be demolished. Yeah, it's not the best. It's not the best. Great memories in there, though. Um, all right, why don't we dive in? Let's do a little Q and A here. Uh, okay, so let's just uh, let's jump on. Which one? Which one do you want to do first here? I like. Uh, I can throw this out to. I can throw this out to you actually. Okay. Uh, at K Wally twenty three, was there a prop that security ever took away from you guys? Uh, there was actually, in fact, there should have been more. Oh, for sure. I mean, the the we're perhaps most famous for the one that that was all you is the box of waffles, and they that was buying a box of waffles at the Costco across the street and then just walking in, and yeah. no one stopped us. Uh, you got to have a love for waffles. That, I guess, that was confusing. That we walked in with a giant box of diapers once. No one stopped us. That <laughs> that was weird. Uh, the one thing that they out of everything though, the one that they took away, I thought would have been the best one. And, it was uh, near Christmas, playing the Los Angeles Kings, and we found a like three, four foot tall uh, nutcracker. I suppose that we'd call it. Yeah, like, it was a nutcracker. Yeah, and you know, like I, I was never one of those families that had the weird bowl of nuts that you have to like crack to work open. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's weird. Some families do. Uh, mo- I think most do, but it's yeah, so much work. Yeah. But like the and and the Nutcracker. Okay, so we got this thing at Value Village. It was huge. It was awesome, and it had like a giant crown on it, of course. So that's you know the King's reference there, of course, first and foremost. But um, the worst part about it was we spent I don't know fifteen bucks or something on this giant Nutcracker, which was great. But then I went and I bought pecans, pecans. I bought them <laughs> in bulk and a bunch of walnuts, so I could shove some nuts into this thing's mouth. And, um, yeah, and, and like, when you buy nuts in bulk at Safeway or Save-On or whatever, you, you pay top dollar. I probably spent $40 on nuts, and the whole thing got confiscated. Did the nuts, too? Nuts are gone. Yeah. See, see that makes sense. I had forgot that detail of the story. Yeah, I think maybe that's an allergy thing. Yes. You can't well, have nuts in the arena. They claimed that this nutcracker thing was the size of a small human being and it would take up a lot of room. And I, it was huge. I kind of understand that. Yeah. That being said, if we got on national television yeah. where we're just like, had nothing planned except <laughs> this nutcracker and we're just cracking pecans in this mouth <laughs> while like Anze Kopitar's in the box, yeah. like what is the reaction to that? Would have been epic. We talked about it with Drew, uh, with uh, Dale Weiss about how Drew Doughty finally got rattled in the penalty box with us after being so straight-faced for all those years. If we had Drew Doughty in the box with a nutcracker, come on. Unreal. Legendary stuff. All right, thanks, Kay Wally, for 23 for the question. Uh, Let's get into this one. I want to jump to this one because this was one of my favorite Green Man memories. At West Coast Express 7, I took a photo with you guys at a KISS concert. Why were you guys wearing green suits at a KISS concert? (laughs) That is an excellent question. I'm still not quite sure why we were in green suits at a KISS concert, but somehow... I forget how we made friends with this lady, but she was friends with the Simmons family. And she's like, yeah, come out to Abbotsford. They're doing a show. Uh, you know, we'll grab a beer beforehand, and then, you know, we'll go backstage. We'll meet the Simmons. And it was like, okay, well, why not? I mean, this whole this whole entire tenure has been random enough, but yet believable somehow. So maybe we'll believe this woman. We go out. Can I do a quick interjection? Years. Please do. I think... We did hit her. We did meet through Twitter, but okay. what amplified the friendship was she. Her name was Kelly. Kelly oh, sings. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, she became friends with the Simmons just like through the internet, through Twitter somehow. And yeah. she ended up going out there and hanging out with a bunch. But they were up in like the 
the Canucks have like a celebrity box near the end of the rink where if you're in town filming a movie and you want to go to the game, they'll wine and dine you up there. Yeah. And uh, Sophie Simmons and Shannon Tweed yes. asked to meet us. There it is. And Kelly was there. So we all went and we all got some photos of them. And then Kelly reached out to us. She's like, the Simmons had a great time. They're back in town in Abbotsford. And then story continues. Ah, yeah. Okay. So there you go. That's right. So... Uh, we met them. We end up going, having a few beers. We've got the suits with us. They're like, okay, suit up. Here we go. So we go in backstage. Uh, we're hanging out, like, you know, just, just in this random room sort of thing. We go out, and then the band walks by, full get up, full makeup. We take a photo uh, with Gene Simmons. They go up on stage. They do the thing. We're front row center. I got hit in the face with one of his guitar picks. He kept, chucked it right yeah, at he me. Yeah, he kept throwing the guitar picks at us, which was awesome. Yeah, it was pretty wicked. And everyone's like, it's a Kiss concert. So you got some, like, diehard fans there. Yeah. And no one even blinked an eye that there was two idiots in green suits, like, front row. Oh, yeah. I mean, based on the makeup, I mean, yeah. we blend in pretty well. That um, was an awesome stipulation, though. Like, do you guys want to come backstage, front row, meet Gene Simmons, but the catch is you have to wear your green suits the entire time. Yeah, and we, so we go backstage after the show, and still no idea what we're doing next. And we end up having dinner with the Simmons family. They have a chef that they fly with them around the world. Made some amazing steak. A white, white tablecloth, everything. Incredible. The, the manager kept coming and checking on us. Like, it really gave a peek behind the scenes of, like, yeah. these, like, A-list celebrities live the life. And then I heard, because I kept in contact with one of uh, Sophie Simmons' friends, I heard that apparently there at one point in time was a little crush. Yeah, I could have I. I, I could have gone out with Sophie Simmons, potentially, if I played my cards right. But you didn't. I don't, I, maybe I should throw an allegedly down right now. I'm not sure. But, you know, if it's from her friend, I mean, I want to say that's a pretty good source. I suppose so. I mean, my life, I'm pretty happy the way it turned out. I, I love my wife, love the kid, you know, all the, the dog in the house. But still, you know. Oh, I hope Lisa been, listens to I this. I could have been traveling in Hollywood circles. <laughs> uh, the... <laughs> the one little weird like gl- uh, part of it all is they were filming the Gene Simmons family jewel show. Oh, my wife's actually calling right now. See? That's a weird thing. Oh, she heard. That, that's very strange. Oh, boy, she she's actually calling. is. She's calling right now. <laughs> that's not good. It's going to go to voicemail. I'm not screening. All right, I'll call you back. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. That's weird. That's awkward. Uh, they were filming Gene Simmons family jewels, and so it kind of got a glimpse of like reality TV, like, there's the one time like Gene had to walk into the room a bunch of different ways and say a certain line. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Reality show is pretty fake. It was a little weird. And then also, I guess they're filming like six months down the line. So Gene Simmons and his wife were having like a marital issue. Yeah. uh, On the show, which had been taped six months earlier, so they couldn't be seen together. So like during the show, Shannon Tweed had like hide backstage and not be seen by the fans. Because then they know that like they're back together and that would ruin the show. It was really weird. Yeah, and there was like an embargo. They're like, don't tell anybody. You can't say anything. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, and then enough. the night ended with the cameras not rolling, a food fight. Yeah, <laughs> which was weird. That was awkward. That, yeah, they, the Simmons family just started throwing pudding at each other. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was very strange. But you know what? It was a great time. Uh, sorry, that was a very roundabout, long, long-winded answer. But thank you for the question, West Coast Express 7. If you have that photo, too, can you tweet this at, uh, at us? Because that, that would be hilarious. Yeah. Uh, just us in a crowd of, like, black and white face makeup and then two idiots in green suits. I'm going to dive into at Dave is Dave 2008. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is from uh, kind of our last show. We were talking about Canucks and the, the goal music, maybe. Uh, horrible segue, but best pump-up tune before a game, before a Green Man game, and he also wants to know best Roxy story. All right, best tune, 
back in the day before it turned out this guy was a creep was Gary Glitter. The, well, he's not looking for like just a rank of tunes. What, what was your pump up tune? What would you go like? Would you listen to Gary Glitter before the game? Oh yeah, okay. that song. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. So this, I, I play beer league because yeah, I yeah. suck at hockey, and it's like div seven falling by the day. Like you and me both. Buddy. Yeah, I refuse to go to the thirty plus league, even though I now qualify. So I still play against nineteen year olds who haven't discovered beer. Yeah, and it's just and it, they still think there's scouts in the crowd. A hundred percent. It it doesn't go well. Yeah. So we kind of do a little bit of a troll job on them and we have a pump up playlist, but it's only of like really bad, annoying music and we change our wind song every year. So one year it was Kesha. Yeah. Okay. And this year our wind song is Lizzo's Truth Hurts. Wow. And we have like a giant subwoofer speaker, like a big boy. And we make sure like that anybody in the ring can hear it. So if we win... Lizzo's Truth Hurts plays. That's amazing. So that's our that's our pump up jam, I suppose. That is amazing. We play uh, our win song is the Gypsy Kings, Bambaleo. Yeah, <laughs> all right, that's pretty good too. Pretty good. Um, <laughs> but uh, best pump up tune I would play before a game, I got to give it to. Uh, I was pretty huge on it back in like 2011, 2012. Was Led Zeppelin when the levee breaks? You can't go wrong. That's just a great jam. Yeah. So I'll go with that. Best Roxy story. Uh, there's a lot of Roxy stories. Um, I, w- I mean, we we had our, our Which Way to the Roxy, or Shane O'Brien and Shrine to the Roxy. That was a great moment. I'm going to say, though, my 20th birthday, um, and you know what? I'll, I'll leave this up to the imagination, but uh, I'm there on my 20th birthday, and I see Gino Ochik, uh, and he buys me a beer. He says, happy birthday, and then he's just like some random lady who's a visiting town, like, came up and was like, oh, my God, Gino. Um, she didn't sound like that, but... Um, <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, anyways, he's like, so you two should go dance. And uh, so anyways, we went, we went and danced. And uh, Gino Ochik, not always known for the assists, but... So in the, in the last three minutes, while your wife's calling you... Yeah, you... I know. What am I doing? <laughs> what am I... He asked Best Roxy story. I couldn't help myself. That's it's true. a great story. The... To... Yeah. It, I think most people know the Shane O'Brien, which way to the Roxy, but in case you don't, that is... When Shane O'Brien was in the penalty box of the National Predators, we held up a sign, which way to the Roxy, because he liked to frequent it. The Roxy then reaches out to us and says, hey, can we have the poster? We want to frame it up, get your autographs on it, and we'll hang it in the back where all the players hang out. So all the players come through town, they see our autograph, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, our first game after, which is, again, we've mentioned multiple times throughout the show, but our 10-year anniversary coming up next week. And after our first game, we went over to the Roxy in the green suits with the hood down, and just didn't buy a beer all night because people were buying us beers, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty awesome. We were shooting pool with the hoods down. Uh, nobody had any idea, unless you were at Rogers Arena, nobody had any idea who we were. It was pretty wicked uh, to have that nice anonymity while wearing spandex. Uh, but, uh, you know, speaking of the 10-year anniversary, we've been trying painstakingly to find and track down Dave Scatcherd. If somebody out there has a line on this guy, we want to get him on the show. We want to serve up an apology. I mean, he kind of, he was, you know, pretty instrumental in starting this whole Green Men thing. Uh, He took the first few penalties at that first game against Nashville. Uh, You know, we've been lining up some great guests, show after show here. Uh, You know, (laughs) just pumping your tires. Scotty Walker, Alex Ald, obviously Dale Wee, Sean Pronger. We want to get, we need to get Dave Scatcherd on this show. He... It, yeah, it might have played out a lot differently if it wasn't him in the penalty box that first game because he took the penalty December 23rd, 2009, 
and he took the penalty. Canucks score, takes the second penalty. He's upset, and he throws the towel over the penalty box camera, and that like just cements us. And then the Canucks score again, and then he gets sent down the next day. Never played another game in the NHL. He did. He a, did he? A, a year oh. a year to the date. He got called up by the St. Louis Blues. I'm but taking the feather out of the cap. He he was in the AHL for a full year, and apparently uh, he's a big poker player. Oh yeah, and so I I know a couple of local poker guys, and they said that yeah, Skatcher does not like us. No, he like he blames us for a lot, <laughs> which is hilarious. That like uh, thirty second interaction can like change his life yeah. and ours, but literally that's what happened. Like a thirty second interaction. On a random like, Wednesday, yeah, booze rained down from the heavens like I've never heard before in that arena when he covered that camera. That was a gorgeous moment. Uh, okay. I can't believe ten, 10 years. Yeah, I know. It's like that's crazy. Think about how much our lives changed because we chose to go to that one game. Uh, that uh, we have people listening to this show right now. I still don't know why you're listening, but thank you for tuning in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been a blast, buddy. Ten I, years. I used to have more hair. Uh, I had less of a dad bod. Um, I'm taking care of that for both of us. Well, <laughs> I could fit the suit, you know. It, it was it was good times 10 years ago. I can't bad. believe it. Like, and, I mean, before going to the Green Man game, I just despised you. I did not like you as a person. No. I still don't now, but now we're just tied together. No you, business. You were a guy with an appendix the first time I met you, and things have changed. That is true. Out of context, that's very random. But Mm -hmm. yes, uh, Sully and I met at BCIT, and then a week into my broadcasting career, my appendix exploded. (laughs) And my friends were there to support me. Uh, (laughs) Buddy, the the 2019 season of Green Men Radio is nearing a conclusion just a few minutes from now. But we will be back in 2020. We have a jam-packed January. We have three episodes in a row January 8th, 15th, and 22nd. I'm a math guy, but I had to write that down to make sure I knew that I could do seven days apart. So back-to-back-to-back episodes to get you into 2020. Seven episodes of Green Man Radio left in the Canucks season, and it starts on January 8th. Should I preview some guests for the next show? Tease it up. We've got got one locked in. We've got one three-quarters locked in. So maybe this will put the added pressure that's needed to get that final quarter. Okay, so... All right. We've been chatting. It looks like we got the Jovo Cop lined up. Ed Jovanoski. For January 8th episode, and we've been chatting, and it looks like we've also got OB, Shane O'Brien, one of the most colorful characters in all of NHL history, especially Canuck history. Uh, the reason that we had the uh, Which Way to the Roxy sign, of course we got to bring that up, get his two cents on it. Um, now, if they, you know, if they get moved around, they get shuffled around a little bit, they'll be on a future episode, but that's what we're shooting for for January 8th. It's going to be sweet. That is the first, he'll be the first player that was in the penalty box with us. So this is the first true making amends, which is why I wanted to do this show. I just, we kind of got sidetracked because I've been loving interviewing all these former Canucks and hearing these Canucks stories. But the purpose of this was to reach out and apologize uh, and, you know, Really mean it. <laughs> you know what? Another gem, though, was Shane O'Brien. He was on that Flames team, so he was in the locker room on the other side of the hallway. So we got Dale when, Weiss on one side. We got his account, and now we can get the other side of the coin, Shane O'Brien. For the John Tortorella fight. Exactly. All right. It's all coming together, full circle. The other half of the medallion is coming into place. All right, buddy. 2019 has been an absolute blast. Thanks for, uh, you know, when I kind of threw this out there, I said, Green Man Radio, interested? I'm glad you jumped on board because it's been really fun through three episodes. Yeah, this has been pretty epic, man. I uh, got to talk with uh, some some idols, you know, yeah. Scotty Walker. <laughs> Still trying to track down Billy Idol. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, Sean Pronger, Dale Weiss, great guest today. 
Uh, beautiful way to round out the year. And and I just want to throw this out there. This is, I mean, I love the bullet points that you make because some of them have to do with the show and some of them have to do with absolutely nothing. Oh, it's the best um, part. I like to confuse you. Yeah, deep dives on 90s and 2000s Canuck trades. Uh, December 19th, 1999. Okay, I see where you're going. That's an anniversary there. Um, traded from the New York Islanders with a second-round pick, the 2000 draft. Timu Laine. Timu Laine. That's a nice little trivia there. And a third-round pick in the 2000 draft, Thatcher Bell to the Vancouver Canucks for Bill McCult, Kevin Weeks, and Dave Scatcher. Did the Canucks win or lose that trade? That's a good question. Please, your take. Uh... It, I think they win the trade. The reason I threw that in there is because I'm still hoping that Dave Scatcher joins us on the program like we just discussed. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, they won the trade. They got three very capable NHL players for two busts of a prospects. I think Timu Lainey very well could be Patrick Lainey's father. How dare you say that Thatcher Bell was a bust of a prospect? Thatcher Bell also works. <laughs> he might. <laughs> he might, yeah. At pastime sports and games. Yeah, he might be. Um, yeah, McCult. Okay, Kevin Weeks, goalie of the future. And uh, Dave Skatchett. I mean, all I remember him for was that scrap against Joe Thornton. But uh, that and not being able to take the heat. All right, buddy. Uh, the green men. Okay, what do you got going on for uh, Christmas? Anything going on? You're just, you're just shutting it down? I'm shutting it down. Yeah, that's okay. Um, you're, you're too much Thatcher Bell talk. Yeah, that's fair. Christmas, I got to do the tour, buddy. Uh, we live in Poco. In-laws are in uh, White Rock. Sister's out in UBC. Folks are by Deep Cove. So... Another Christmas means some more clicks on the car. Don't sound so excited. Oh, buddy, I'm jazzed. Woo! Well, we mentioned earlier on the show, I'm going to Cabo, and I'm leaving very soon. I'm taking the girlfriend, and uh, it's it's tough, man. Not having a kid, it's just, it wrecks your body. It's Mm -hmm. tough. It's stressful. All that Mm -hmm. booze you got to drink, all the fun you got to have. Yeah. How do I block your number? Because I don't want to get these, like, tequila (laughs) beach photos. Well, I'm also probably not going to be able to make it back for January because uh, last time I was in Cabo, I think there's a hit out on me because yeah. I I just sent out a bunch of emails asking essentially for free golf at these nice courses and just said, hey, I'm, like, I'm a journalist from Vancouver. I'd, I'd love to come golf at your course and kind of give it a review. Didn't think much of it. And turns out everyone said no across the board except for the nicest course. DeMonte Golf Course is ranked top 100 in the world, private or otherwise. Yeah. It's designed by Tiger Woods and Davis Love III. We go down there, myself and a friend, Mitch. I'll throw him under the bus right now. We were out partying all night before. This is a year and a half ago. And we show up to the gates, private gate. The GM of the club meets us and the head pro meets <laughs> us. And he's like, you're going to play with the head pro. He's from Australia. Um, you guys said you're pros, so we're going to play off the tips. They give us like top-of-the-line clubs. We're so hungover. We oh try to like gosh. carry our bags in, yeah. and they're like, "Oh no, 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 you you can't do that." Like the caddy has to do it for you. We have this caddy. The, at one point, the guy turns to us like, "You know, it's custom to tip the caddy." What was his name? About one hundred fifty dollars. The caddy? Yeah, I don't know, but he was amazing. Like he knew every single inch of the course, so it was worth the investment. I want to say Herman. No, okay. it was. He was from the area. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, but it's really hot in Cabo. It's all it's a dunes type course, so sand everywhere. And, like, we're just playing so bad. We're so hungover. Mitch is, like, comatose. And then four holes in, I look over at him, and he's holding a towel to his nose. Massive nosebleed. And it's just from, like, the dry air. Yeah. The head pro looks over, and at this point, he realizes, like, we're fraudsters. And he looks over, and he's like, are you guys on cocaine? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, we were on coke. <laughs> I've never done coke in my life. I don't have any plans <laughs> to try coke. Mitch has definitely not tried coke. And it was just bad from the start. This course is so mint, and it's for members. So every, like, third hole, 
There's yeah. like snack shacks where everything's free. Like there's Coronas and mar- there's guys making like fresh margaritas and burritos for you. Sweet. It, it was bad. So it sounds pretty good. It actually. was good, but as a result of that, they like reached out after like, so uh, when's the article coming out? I'm like, I never said anything about an article. I just said I wanted a free round of golf. Yeah. So sorry, that was a little long winded, but I was just I might be a dead man. Yeah, now we know where to look. So that's what I'll be doing for the <laughs> holiday be. season uh, while you do the, the tour of the Fraser Valley. Yeah, okay. So if there's like a like a, a force, you know, shaped bump on the fringe on like the eighth hole, now we know why. Yeah. All right, buddy. Let's get out of here. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody listening. Happy holidays. We'll be back in 2020 again. January 8th is our next episode of Green Men Radio on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Sully and Force joining you as always, and we'll see you in the new year. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Bye. Happy holidays.